continuing with a series called Backyard Conversations. So if you're wondering why we have backyard, like mason jars and a hammock, and I'm not going to take a nap in the middle of the message, I promise. Um, but we have, we got all these things going on because we just want to bring you into this idea of being in the backyard. There's something special that happens in Backyard Conversations, right? When the, uh, over some marshmallows being burnt, or kids playing on a swing set, or um, just the poolside conversations. Let's this, this get a little deeper than just your, how's the weather? Well, obviously it's fine. We're in the backyard. Yeah, so we, we just want to take it a little deeper. And uh, there's a book in the Bible that it kind of is phrased and, and framed. Basically, it's a backyard conversation. It's a book. It's one of my favorites called Philippians. And Philippians is a small book. And if you, I hope you stepped into the challenge I gave you guys last week is to just read the book of Philippians throughout the week. You know, just once a week for the next uh, a few eight or nine weeks that we're going to be doing this this challenge, um, or going through this series, backyard conversations. Uh, you read a whole book of the Bible; it will take you fifteen minutes. Uh, it is only four chapters long. It's tiny. One of the reasons it's one of my favorites. Uh, but I feel really good about myself. Uh, I read a book of the Bible, knocked it out. That's terrible, Jimmy, but it's true. And uh, so uh, you you know you know how you feel too. Uh, but. We're, good, we're, dis, we're getting into Philippians because it's unlike a lot of other things that, uh, that Paul writes. Paul writes about a third of the New Testament in uh, all of his other letters. There's a lot of kind of yelling going on. Uh, people have been doing some stupid things in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, all these other books. They keep on doing dumb things and Paul has to write them to kind of gibbs them in the back of the head. Okay, and that's what he's doing. But in Philippians, it's a total different kind of feeling. He is writing them to encourage them and to say, hey, I love you. And it's just just different. It's this heartfelt, um, just this this beautiful book that we get to see inside Paul's heart as he writes to one of his probably most beloved church that he planted. And Philippians itself is very interesting. And so to give you a little behind the scenes uh, information, Philippians is... Uh, the church of Philippi. It's a city in Greece. It's actually the first Christian church in Europe. Now, this is a big deal. This is the moment. This is the church that takes Christianity from being a Jewish sect and located in Jerusalem and all the, 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 the baggage of Judaism and the foundation of Judaism does not apply to the church of Philippi. They don't care about how, who your daddy was or how Jewish you are. They don't care. They're a bunch of Romans a bunch of Greeks that live in Philippi. And so it's a whole kind of new world for this Christianity here in, uh, in Philippi. And so Paul has kind of this special relationship with them. They have his heart in a unique way because all of his arguments and acts and, and saying, no, we don't have to worry about circumcision. They don't have to follow the, the dietary rules of Judaism. Philippi is his, like, is his petri dish of, see, it can work. These, these European guys, they, they, can, they can get it too. They can fall in love with Christ too. They can, they can love the same God that we love. And, and so he kind of looks at it as like his, his baby creation. You know, when you, if, if, you, if you do something crafty or you do something maybe for the first time, you, I made a table last summer, very proud of this, of this table. Uh, that's a whole other sermon for another story. But, very, but you just kind of like, that's, you know, I did that. You know, you know that kind of thing. It's a, yeah, that's, that's mine. You know, and you, we all have those kind of things, you know, uh, whatever your pet project is going on. It's, eh, this worked out. 
Um, it's not been a colossal failure. And that's kind of what the church of Philippi is like. So that gives you a little bit in the mindset of this relationship. Paul, as he's writing Philippians, is in jail. He's under house arrest. He's got the ankle bracelet to prove it. It's just, it's a bad time for him, okay? They didn't have ankle bracelets in, in Rome, by the way. No electricity, that wouldn't work. They're pretty advanced, but they couldn't pull that off. Um, but he is under house arrest. He's not in jail because he got kicked out of jail. You know why he got kicked out of jail? He kept on converting all the jailers. <laughs> they got mad at him, like, oh, he made them Christians again. They want to, like, love him and stuff. Oh, get him out. You know, you kind of lose your impetus as a jailer and as a torturer when you're supposed to love people. It's, it's bad for, the, for the, uh, the resume. It doesn't work well. Job promotion doesn't happen anymore. It's bad. Uh, so they like, you're ruining our best guys. You're going to go under house arrest. And basically, he is sent to house arrest to kind of rot. And what they're doing under house arrest, Paul was probably under house arrest for three or four years. The Romans, when they put you under house arrest, they're like, this Paul dude, he's kind of important. He's not really that big of a deal to us as Romans, but... We understand he's kind of important. And so what they're actually waiting for was these churches to send Paul a bunch of money so they would bribe the officials to let him off. That's what they were waiting for. They weren't like they weren't log jammed with paperwork. The Romans are extremely efficient at cutting people's heads off. Okay, they they if they do one thing well, they do public execution excellent. Right, they they mm, they got that down. Um, but so what they're waiting actually for is a bribe. And that's what the officials are doing. That's why Paul actually gets the audiences with all these different um, guys and acts when he's kind of paraded in front of this dude and paraded in front of this dude and he keeps on telling them about Jesus. They're all kind of doing it with their hand out. What, 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 what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Like this. And he's like, give him a high five. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm not going to give you a bribe. And that's what keeps on going on. I, you mean, I, if I just tell you about Jesus and don't give you a bribe, I get to go basically to the city council. And now I get to go to the governor. And now I get to go to the senator. And now I get to go to, you know, now I get to go in front of the whole senate. And now I get to go to the president. If I just don't bribe you, I can continue to do this? That's what's going on. And so, does that help you get the mindset of what Paul's doing here? Okay. Um, just want to give you that background information, because I think it's really helpful as we, um, as we study Philippians. Paul knows what's going on here. He's playing the Roman system to its fullest. He's a smart, smart dude. All right, we're studying out of 1 Philippians, or Philippians 1, sorry, there's no second Philippians. Philippians 1, verse 21 to 27. This is mm, good stuff right here. What we're talking about today is how do we know if we're living well? And Paul finds himself writing Philippians at this moment, kind of giving the, the thought of, you know what? I'm just doing the best I can in this crazy circumstance that I'm in. And that's kind of where we're at in Philippians here. And as I asked myself this week, because if you go to prepare a message like this, are you living well, the retrospective has to happen. You, kinda, you have to look in the mirror. Am I living well? You know, as, as we look at the last five years of our life, the last ten years of our life, or the, the prospect of the next five years, can they not pass fast enough? Are you looking forward to them? Are you excited about the opportunities in them? What is your mindset in that? How does that look for you? Are you living well? And Paul in this passage kind of gives us the blueprint of how to figure out if we're living well in this situation. Philippians 21, 1.21 For to me, 
to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Well, then what he's saying here. If I die, I get to go to heaven. If I live, I get to tell people about Jesus. This is a wonderful glass half full type mentality. He is under house arrest. This is not going well for him. But it's like, ah, if I die, it's okay. If I live, that's all right too. It's actually better for you. He's go- he, the commentaries that I've been reading this week were talking about, he was actually kind of preferring, yeah, go ahead and cut, cut my head off. Be all right. Get to go to he- Remember, this guy is probably disfigured. He's got all kinds of medical problems because people keep on throwing rocks at his head. And he's probably like, you know what? I don't have to deal with this anymore. I've lived my life well. I've planted all these churches. I'll go to heaven. It's all right. But if I stay here, I'll work hard too. It's okay. This mentality is amazing to me. And that leads us to our, our thought and our, our tweetable thing. Our, if you're going to write anything down today, write this down and think about it. How you think is how you love, and how you love is how you live. How you think is how you love, and how you love is how you live. This leads us to how are you thinking? How are you thinking? Paul is seeing the best in this situation. And for us, I have to say, are we, excuse me, are we optimistic or pessimistic? What is our frame of mind usually? Are we seeing the worst in everything? Are we seeing the best in everything? Now, I'm a pessimist. I try to be an optimist. My mom has tried to beat pessimism out of me. She got a ping pong paddle to prove it because her hands would break if she hit me, but the ping pong paddle will help her. Um, she, she is an optimist, and we'll talk about her a little bit more later, but I'm trying to be an optimist. I want to see the best in all the situations, but think about this. I did, I did some research into the studies that have been done on just optimistic households and pessimistic households. An optimistic household, the children are less likely to do self-harm, less likely to have health uh, problems, and less likely to uh, partake in substance abuse just by growing up in an optimistic home. Now, for some of you right now are going, great, I messed up my kids again. Eeyore, stop it, all right? We can change this. Start thinking like... Okay, where is the opportunity? I want to change optimistic to opportunistic. Where is the opportunity in this issue? And maybe that's helpful for my natural cynical bent. But where is the opportunity for this? How do I capitalize on the opportunities that is in this situation? Because that's what Paul is doing, right? I am in jail. All right. Let's convert the jailer. That'll be fun. I mean, way to aim high here, right? But that's that's what he's doing. He's like, okay, I'm in a situation. Let's make the boast of it. Am I going to die? Okay, I get to go to heaven. Am I going to stay here? Okay, I get to do something else. And this this is beautiful. Do you see how that changes our mentalities about things? The way we think about objects? Because 
I don't know about you, but I get just overwhelmed with, oh, I got to do this bill and this thing broke and this happened and this is going on here and blah, 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 blah. And it just piles on, piles on, piles on. And when you start to get overwhelmed by that, you lose sight of the opportunities of what's happening. Your water heater breaks. You have the opportunity to talk to the plumber. Bet you'd never thought of it that way before, right? <laughs> but you have the opportunity to be Christ's light in all those different situations. If you know my mom, my mom um, is gone this week, so I feel free to talk about her a lot. But my, my mom has been praying this same prayer from Paul since I was five years old. God, if I die today, great. The suffering is over. If I live, let me live for you. She's been doing that since I was five years old. If you don't know, my mom suffered from severe rheumatoid arthritis since she was 18 years old. She almost died when I was five. She almost died when I was 12. She almost died when... It's, just, it's one of those things, all right? Um, it's, it's just kind of shaped me and bent me in a weird way. But for her, when, she was, when I was five years old, she, the doctors told her she couldn't walk anymore. She's going to lose her legs and all this stuff. And they said, you know, all these things to her. And she chose, she said, God, I'm going to live for you today. If you have stuff for me to do, I'll do it. But if you want to take me home, I'm okay with that too. And it changed the way in which she dealt with her illness. It changed the way she deals with everything. She does not deal with pessimism well. If you want to make that little five-foot-nothing woman mad, be pessimistic around here, and God help you, all right? Um, no, well, she can next week. But, uh, but, but she, she just epitomizes this optimism. She looks for the opportunity in everything. In fact, right now, as I'm talking to you, she is training at the country's biggest children's pastor training seminar. She's training thousands of children's pastors. That's what she did this week. That's why she's not here. And she wrote a book last week because she had extra time. That's what she does, and that's who she is. And she inspires other people who have issues and stuff going on to say, all right, if that lady with like no original joints can do this, I can, I can step up and do something too. And that's, that's just who she is, and I'm blessed to have that as a role model for me. But how we think trans, transcends all that. Are we choosing the opportunities in this, or are we getting bogged down in the obstacles? Because we can look at the op- opportunities and say, listen, this gives me an avenue here. This gives me a doorway here. This gives me this here. Instead of going, oh, oh, oh. How we think affects how we love, and how we love affects how we live. How do we love? Verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all, with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. How do we love? Paul is in jail. He is on death row. He is under all this persecution. And he's saying, you know what? I just love you guys so much. And if I get to be with you, we're going to just explode the name of Christ even more. That's what he's thinking about. That's what he's writing about. Isn't that a huge different kind of feeling? If I was in jail... There would be a pity party going on for Jared. All right? I'm not coming up here saying, I got this all figured out. I threw a big pity party for me to this week. I'm real cranky. Luckily, my family was at the lake, and I was by myself. They didn't have to witness it. But, oh, man, I was cranky. Yvonne had to witness it. Sorry about that. (laughs) But I I did this week. I had to get out of that. 
how you think is how you love, and how you love is how you live. How do we do this? We change our idea of love from being entitled to being gracious. Being entitled to be gracious. And if we think about anything in our country, we do entitlement pretty well. Entitlement means I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. We're always looking for the government to do this for me, or for that person to do this for me, for my mom to do this for me, or for my kids to do that for me. They should because they need to. I get entitled with God. I don't know about you, but just me, I get entitled with God. He should do this for me and that for me and that and this. And my prayers become this laundry list of what God should be doing for me and not a prayer of graciousness. I can't be the only one that falls victim to that. But be gracious, not entitled. That our prayers become grace-filled. Thank you so much, God, for all the blessings you've poured out on me. Thank you so much for everything you've done for me. Whether or not That's what Paul's doing, and he's in prison, starving to death because no one's sending him food. Do you, that's what's going on here in the Scripture. To be gracious, not entitled. If anyone was going to be entitled in this situation, don't you think it would be Paul? I planted you churches. I, I told you about Jesus. Everything spiritually that you are, you owe to me, and you guys won't even send me a piece of bread? Do you, you see, that's the cranky Paul. That would be probably the way Jared would phrase the letter. Be gracious, not entitled. Do you know how that changes your marriages? If you exude an idea of graciousness and thanksgiving towards your spouse or towards your children instead of an entitlement, well, she should do that. Well, he should do this. He should. That gets you down a bad road real fast. Instead, be thankful for all that they do for you. Be gracious, not entitled. This changes the way we love, which changes the way in which we live. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is verse 27. Underline, star, highlight, whatever you do in your Bible, the word worthy. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Are we conducting ourselves in a manner worthy? Worthy. How you love is how you live. If we love a gracious kind of lifestyle, we will start to live well. I want to live well. I want to conduct myself worthy of the gospel. What does that even mean? I'm not worthy of the gospel. None of us are. What I am worthy of is punishment. What I'm worthy of is hell. What I'm worthy of is prison. What I'm worthy of is nothing like heaven. But because of the gospel, because of God's great grace, I get to go to heaven. And so when that starts to switch in my mindset, how do I strive to be worthy of that? How do I conduct myself better than that? I think that is stepping into being optimistic. Because you know what? At the end of the day, whatever happens here to me, I get to go to heaven. It is living a a gracious kind of life. 
And it affects everything about how we live. So you may be asking, okay, we talked about some heady things, talked about some stuff today. How do I reorient my life so that I can live well? I'm glad you asked the question. We pray. We pray. This is my answer to a lot of different questions that we ask here. Because it's the answer to a lot of different questions that we ask here. And if we're honest with ourselves, are we engaging in prayer enough or at all? And do, when we, we, we engage in prayer, is it an entitlement prayer or is it a gracious prayer? Because if you're around a two-year-old for very long and it's, I want, 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 do you want to listen to that? You want to backhand that. You don't want to listen to that. My flesh just spoke to you, but that's okay. <laughs> that's not what, that's not... That's not what this is about. It's not what our relationship with God is about. It's, oh, wow. God, you are amazing. Thank you for everything that you've blessed us with. Thank you for everything you've given me. Whether it's a little bit or a lot, we pray differently. Let, and pray this prayer, like my mom does. Let me see the opportunity into today. Let me see the opportunity in today. Whether if it's the water heater breaking or the guy checking you out at Target. Let me see the opportunity today. This will mess you up. This will mess your reality TV watching up. I guarantee you. Because if you start praying this prayer and you see people that are so broken on TV, you just start crying. They're watching TV. I wouldn't be talking about a personal experience. I do this all the time. I walk out of the room. I can't take it. My heart On this stupid wedding dress show that Kelly loves to watch, I can't stand but you see these people, I'm just like, ah, oh, you are hiding behind this. And one girl had blue antlers she was wearing during the show. I didn't know what was going on. But you could tell, she's a beautiful girl that you could tell all these things that happened to her. And God was just giving me his eyes. And I was just like, oh, I can, I can just see the abuse. I can see the junk. I can see the hurt. I can see the heartache. I can see how you've been used in your life. And it just, I was about ready to start weeping watching a stupid dress buying show. Very masculine there, right? All the guys are like, who is this guy? What is going on? Because, and I'm not that you might not have the same reaction that I do, but because I've been praying for the opportunities to see people like God sees them. It's a dangerous prayer. If you don't want to be wrecked for people, don't pray that prayer. Although I would uh, encourage you to do so. As Christians, that's who we're supposed to be. Secondly, <clears throat> perspective. Change your perspective. And this is part of the prayer. God, let me uh, change my perspective. But it goes beyond this. I have two desks in my office. I have a table and I have an actual desk. A credenza, if you will. I think that's the right name. But I do this. And I have four or five chairs around the desk. And if I need to be creative, I need something to get done. I need to like do three days worth of work in two hours. Because that happens to me sometimes. I need to get that happen. I will change seats. Or change desks. I will just move it over four feet. And poof, creativity comes out. All these different things start to happen. Because I changed my perspective a little bit. Just a little bit. Maybe I'll come in here and write my message in the back row. Just to change my perspective. For those of you who stay in your house all day. Or you're, you're, you're there all day long. And you just by the end of the day, you're ready to like... just You've had this whole argument with your spouse all day long. And they were at work. Right? right? And you're ready just to... Oh, man, I can't believe they said this. They did not say that to you. You said it to yourself in your head. Okay, by the way, once again, not personal experience. Um, 
Change your perspective. Go to the park. Get out of the house. You're going to be amazed at what just going through the drive-thru at Starbucks would do for your perspective. You just get out of the way. You're like, oh, oh, there's a world out here. It's okay. And the fog will lift and the birds start singing and wonderful things happen just by changing your perspective. I do that. If you're stuck in a cubicle, turn around, right? We, we uh, in my last church, we, our offices were in a strip mall. We were a church plant, so we didn't have actual offices somewhere. So what we'd do is someone would need to change their perspective, and you'd hear, I'm taking a walk! And they'd walk a bad phone call or something, you know, something happened, and you'd hear them go out, and we'd just take a lap around the strip mall. And if it was a really bad day, take two, right? And you just keep on going. And somewhere besides walking past the barbecue place or the lady smoking at the travel agency or the cats meowing at you, it's a trash can, something would start to happen, and your perspective would start to change. I don't know if it was the nicotine or the barbecue smell, but you would start, your perspective started to open up and you could walk back in and you could deal with the issues going on. We would do that all the time. We had a counselor on staff. He said, you just need to change your perspective. That guy was never in his office. I think he was just telling us that so he didn't have to be in his office. But change your perspective. It might seem like a little thing. Three feet can make all the difference. Last thing, people. Maybe you need to change the people in your life. Now, I'm not talking about your husband. Well, your wife, and you can't get rid of your kids easily. Um, but change the other squawk boxes in your life. The people that you're, five people that you're closest to make basically who you are in life. So who are those five people? Are they who you want to be? Are they making you a better person? Are they drawing you closer to Christ? Some of those are painful, painful decisions, painful conversations. But we got to do this so we can live well. Because I want the next five years of my life to be the best five years of my life. I don't want to look back like, well, that was a good year back in 2008. Awesome. I got you know, a bunch more years to go. I don't want that. I want to be looking forward. This is going to be great. How do we live well? It is wonderful if you get to go to heaven. But every day on earth is an opportunity to change someone's eternity. Every day on earth is an opportunity to change someone's eternity. Maybe it's your eternity. Maybe it's your friends, your families. Maybe it's your coworkers. But every day is an opportunity to live well. We need to change the way we pray, change our perspective, and change the people that we interact with. I'm not saying get rid of all your friends and Are they healthy? Are they good for you? How you think is how you love, and how you love is how you live. Let's pray. God, right now I pray that you would change our thinking so that we can love better, that we can live better. Lord, I ask you to meet us here and change us from the inside out that you would recreate the way we live in a way and act the way to interact our community, interact with our friends and our family, that we can truly, maybe even for the first time, live well. God, I want to make you proud of me and how I conduct my life. Lord, that I will take every day as an opportunity 
not an obstacle. The days are gifts from you, not a punishment. Lord, give us the strength to make the decisions we need to make. Give us the words to say. Give us the perspective to change how we're living. We want to live well, Lord. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.